thanks for listening. Learn more about our church and support by giving to the Mission of the Oaks at www.theoakscommunitychurch.org. Read our scripture text, which comes from the book of Matthew 26. We'll be reading verses 30 through 46. Please feel free to follow along in your Bibles or on the screens. Once again, Matthew verse 30 through 46. Hear the word of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to, the, even to death, remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This is the word of the Lord. Can you hear me? Am I muted? I'm good? All right. I couldn't hear. I couldn't hear. Peace be with you. Um, such a joy to preach today. We're, we're in the, our start of our Lent series called Sacrifice, and it's, I'm just really excited to, to teach today. And... Um, you guys recovered Super Bowl parties? You guys, you guys watch the Super Bowl? You're like, of course. Uh, that's like asking, did I have candy on Halloween? <laughs> um, it would be un-American not to watch the Super Bowl. It's the uh, biggest sporting event of the year. Um, full confession, I fell asleep. <laughs> this is true story. True story. Um, like halftime. I made it to Usher. Thank God. Right? <laughs> My confessions. Um, so I made, it, I made it to Usher, and there was no amount of scans to Taylor that could keep me awake. Uh, I missed a lot of the commercials, too. Um, but let me give you a little insight on what was happening in my life at that moment. I, I, had, I went over to my friend's house. Um, I had a busy afternoon, and um, lives right around the corner, and a large spread of wings and pizza, my two favorite food groups. Um, and I ate my fill more than my fill. It was bad. Um, and I, I was just so, like, I could not stay awake. But let me give you a little further back. I, I had just that earlier, uh, the day before, I boarded a plane. We, we took a, 
a trip for, to celebrate a 10-year anniversary to Hawaii with some friends. And we were in Kauai, 14 hours of connection flights, and we, part of that was a red-eye from L.A. to Chicago. And I slept like three hours in like a 26, 27-hour period. So I was like feeling it. But I'm like, I'm going to stay awake. I'm going to stay awake, and I'm going to watch the whole game. Uh, my wife was like, we got to go, bro. I was like on the floor. Like I was nodding off. I was gone for like at least 10 minutes, and she's like, we got to go home. And I was like, okay. Good thing we had a short drive right around the corner. Go home. I'm literally like, I could not put my kids down fast enough. I'm, in, I'm in, on my pillow. I'm out. Um, so I fell asleep during, you know, one of the biggest sporting events. I didn't even know who won. I didn't watch any of the second half. I had to check in the morning. That's the first time. I love football. I'm only, I know I'm a lightweight, but I'm only in two fantasy leagues. But like, I really love sports, and I missed it. I missed like the biggest game of the year. And um, I, I tell you that, I fell asleep because our text today shows uh, the start of history's biggest events, and some people weren't able to stay awake. You caught that in the, in the reading today. So in order to unpack what is happening in the text, I just, I'm going to give you a little glimpse into how my mind works. I like am, you know, waffle brain, spaghetti brain. Spaghetti brains can see all these things and handle it. Not me. I'm a one block at a time, one thing at a time. God bless my wife. Like, so we're, we're going to look at two, two things. I'm really bad at puzzles, too, if that tells you anything. We're going to look at two parts of the text today that I think, and we're going to really focus in on one of them and then close with a second aspect that I think is, is really important. But in order to understand the, the text, I want to look at the people that were there, and then I want to look at the place. So we're going to look at the people and the place, and the people is going to dominate most of our time today. Matthew 26, 36 through 38, then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go, or while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled, and he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. So we have, we have four people here in this story. Uh, we have Jesus, who's going to pray. And then we have Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. Actually, the Gospel of Mark has like almost the exact same story, and it just gives us their names. It's James and John, for those of you who are familiar with that. So we have Jesus, we have Peter, we have James and John, and he takes them to go pray. I, and Jesus in this moment is very filled with sorrow because there's an understanding about the events that are about to take place because he told them. He told them in Matthew 26, verse 21, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. Pastor Matt talked about this on Wednesday morning. And then verse 31, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So you can see why his heart was filled with sorrow. He's about to be betrayed by his friends. He's about to die. And he's not just about to die. He's about to take the enormity of pain, punishment, and judgment for all his people. He would truly become cursed. So Jesus asked these three guys, Peter, James, and John, to watch with him while he prays. And he doesn't just go pray one time. Actually, he goes and prays three times. Verse 39, he said, My father, if, 
If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but what you will. And then the second time is kind of very similar. He goes away a second time and he prays. My father, and this is in verse 42, my father, if this, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. So a little different, same essence. And then in verse 44, it doesn't even tell us the prayer. It just says he prayed the same thing a third time. This, using the same words. So what's happening while Jesus is doing this agonizing prayer before he's about to be arrested and betrayed by Judas? What we see, not once, but twice, Peter, James, and John are asleep. And the third time, it doesn't say that they're asleep. He just resolves that they are and says, you, you better rest up because it's, it's, it's on now. It's happening right now. The hour's at hand. And I don't know about you, but when I read this text, it conjures up some emotions in me. Um, like, my first emotion I feel is that I think it's kind of infuriating. Like, Jesus, he's right there. Like, Jesus just asks you. Imagine, put yourself in that position. Jesus asks you, be like, hey, will you come pray with me? I'm like, yup, let's go. I'm in. I'm in, bro, let's go. Where are we praying? How long are we going? Three times, four times? You're like, why are these guys, these guys just, they're, they're asked to go to a private prayer session with Jesus, and they just fall asleep. They couldn't stay up for it? I also think it's pretty embarrassing. Like, I'm looking at this text, I'm like, did Jesus pick the wrong guys? Did he pick the wrong apostles to go with him? Like, there's eight other dudes in the room who possibly could stay awake, and you pick those three? Or, hear me out, why didn't he choose like Mary and Martha to go with him? We know they would have stayed awake. They were like serving. They were sitting at Jesus' feet. I know this for a fact because 6.30 a.m. every week, the Oaks has a prayer session. My wife comes every week. And where am I? I'm asleep at home. I know. I know this about the capability of women to, to lock in and be engaged. He could have picked them. Jesus, you could have picked so much better. At least you could have picked people who could handle their carbs and wine, right? They just had a meal. What'd they have? He broke bread and they drank wine. Those aren't exactly stimulants, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. You're like, oh, I'm sleepy. I had some pasta and wine and bread. Let's go to sleep. That's <laughs> awesome. I thought that was funnier in my head, but... <laughs> But Peter, James, and John couldn't handle their wine. So <laughs> why is this story in the Bible anyway? Like, I, I, I just constantly ask myself that. Like, honestly, I think it kind of makes Jesus look like he doesn't know what he's doing, that he doesn't have good discernment. And I actually think it makes his followers look really weak. It's kind of like me watching the Super Bowl. But before we make hasty claims about our conclusions about the message of the story, we kind of have to look back a little bit. This was not the first time that Peter, James, and John would be asked to do something special with Jesus. Actually, earlier in Matthew, Matthew 17, verses 1 through 4. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, his brother, and, and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light familiar, right? Transfiguration. 
And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. They got to see Jesus talking to Moses and Elijah. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we're here. If you wish, let us build three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. The text actually says they heard God the Father audibly speak down and say, this is my beloved son. And they fell down and worshiped him there. They wanted to build tents and settle there. This is our new base of operations right here. This is where the temple's gonna be. Let's go. We're gonna win. Victory is ours. Nobody can stand against us. And they worshiped him. Did you read that? Did you see that? They fell down on their face and worshiped him. These were A-list apostles with special access to Jesus. But they were told not to tell anybody about that. They had this massively amazing experience with Jesus. Maybe you've had a massively amazing experience with Jesus. That's just for you. Maybe you've had that. So how could they fall asleep? How can you go from being a person who's like, I'm locked in, we're going to win, I'm worshiping, to falling asleep? I think that's the point that Matthew's trying to point out in his gospel. I think he shows us the best of Peter, James, and John. But he also shows their worst. And this is, like, this is a truth, I think, that the story's trying to point out. No matter how hard we try or how well our intentions, even the best disciples fall asleep. And Peter is the example of this in our text. Did you pick it up in the text? Who's the only person here called by name by Jesus? It said this in verse 40. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, he's the only one named, so could you not watch with me one hour? I'm like kind of feeling bad for Peter. You, were you that kid in school? Everybody in the class is talking. Everybody's being disruptive. And they're like, Brad, can you stop, please? I'm like, don't you see? I was that kid. Can't you tell? Some of you are like, who know me are like, yes, I totally know that. You're that kid because you probably started it all. But like, you kind of feel bad for him because he's like, what? well, James and John are sleeping. Why didn't he call them out? He names him specifically, I think, because of what Peter says just before it. What he says just before it. Look at Matthew 26, verses 31 and 35. Then Jesus said to him, You will fall away because of me tonight, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Listen to what Peter said to him. Even if I must die, I will not deny you. And all the, all the disciples agreed and said the same thing. God bless Peter, because I think he's guilty of what I would argue is the greatest sin. And this is why this is so important for you and I today. This is why this text is so important for you in your life and for me in my life. We overestimate what we are capable of all the time. All the time. Peter makes this wonderful, strong declaration that he would die for Jesus. And Jesus is like, hey man, don't you see? Don't you see that you can't even stay awake an hour? Peter, don't you see that you're limited? Like you don't have 
you don't have all power and all the capacity to do all this. So we overestimate what we are capable of all the time, and I think that our lack of awareness of our limitation is our greatest sin. We think that we can do anything and everything. And I think that we try to overcome our limitations and failures on our own all the time. And I think we are completely blind to the effects that they are having on us. I think we're completely blind to it. And we try everything in our power to not be limited. It's why we constantly try to improve our productivity and our efficiency every single day. You look for life hacks all the time for everything. I got to figure out how to do this faster or better. I can't even sit down and read a book. I got to speed read so I can get through it. We have apps that make the right noises to help you sleep better. We even have to be more efficient at sleeping. The largest section in any bookstores are the self-help and self-improvement sections. There's an entire industry that is made off of you trying to better yourself. I watch it all the time, YouTube videos on DIY, right? Do it yourself. There's like a pride that says, I did it myself. I didn't have to pay someone. And I find out very quickly that I should have because I am not good at this. Or I call my, one of my best friends and be like, bro, I need your help. Because I can't do it. Oh, the shame. We have influencers showing you what you have to do to be better all the time. It's why we want the best education in life for our children. So we spend hours researching the right schools for them to go to. I know this because I've just I've been doing painstaking work doing this myself. And it's terrible. Because I want to make the right decision, and I want to I see everything, and I want the best possible outcome for them. And I, like, I can't get over the fact that I can't see their future. I don't own their future. And it's like debilitating. I lose sleep over it. You research home activities to give your kids a leg up on their education so that they can be in advanced classes at fifth grade, something your five-year-old is not that interested in. I'm just talking about my own house right now. <laughs> it's, why we, it's why we scroll Instagram and social media inundated with, with visuals of a better, more perfect life. It gives you something to constantly work towards. You gotta eat at better restaurants. You gotta take better trips. You gotta get better clothes. You gotta update your wardrobe all the time. You gotta get a better house. You gotta get a better place. You have to have better sexual experiences. It's a constant pursuit of better, and the mark keeps moving all the time, and you're feeling it all the time. And you can get better. You can do it. We actually have Proverbs. We have children's books that build this. We, these are like our scripture of our culture, right? It's the little engine that could. I think I can. I think I can. I think I can. That's our proverb to fight against our limitations, we constantly try to overcome our limitations by doing more, working harder, experiencing more, and we think that we're getting closer to our best life. And the mark just keeps moving and moving, no matter how much we do. And actually, I believe that, that 
People are, we believe so much in their individuality, our independence, our personal control over our destiny, which, by the way, are core values of American culture, that our limitless ability to improve ourselves is actually our cry of victory. And it works. Until it doesn't. It works until it doesn't. And when it doesn't, it really hurts. Because I think a life of overestimating our ability is leaving people isolated and alone. Even in crowded rooms like this. Even with phones that connect us to every person in the world. We feel alone. I think, I think two possibilities for you here. You'll either be isolated and constantly trying to feel like you're enough, but always being left like you're not enough. You'll constantly feel like you don't measure up. There's more to prove, there's more to get, and you feel alone because you won't want anyone to see your shame. You'll be in a crowded room. You'll give them pictures of yourself. You'll post pictures of how awesome things are going, but if they saw the real you, it would be shame and hurt because you don't actually measure up as high as you think you do. The other possibility is which I think is the worst of isolation, that it will harbor resentment and judgment toward anyone who can't seem to get their act together. You'll isolate yourself because you'll heap shame on everyone else around you. Because why can't you figure it out? Why can't you be better? Constantly better. Peter, why can't you wake up? Some of you here might even want that sermon like, this should be a sermon like, wake up, Jesus is here. That's not what's being said here. Jesus doesn't say that. That's what I heard growing up in the church. Because I actually think the church is one of the worst culprits of this. I think some people here, even today, I know I do, have the wounds to prove it. And no, no wonder we have massive movements of deconstruction and a generation of Christians plagued with shame when they have doubts and failure in their faith because they're, they're doing all the stuff and they keep doing it. We've preached a gospel of read more Bible and you'll change. Be more disciplined. Read more books. Did you get the latest one by John Piper? Did you read that? Oh, well, that's why your life's messed up. I like John Piper. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, not knocking. Get your theology right because then you'll change. Go to more prayer meetings. Serve on more teams. Do, do, do. You get covenant eyes on your computer and your phone, but you still can't help but look at the stuff over and over again. Go to more marriage seminars because it just isn't right. You do more, do X, Y, Z, and then you'll change X, Y, Z in your life. And people are defeated because they do all these things and they are not seeing change in their lives. They keep failing and don't see improvement, even when they are doing the right things. And at best, I think people struggle to come to church each week with the weight of their failures, or at worst, they leave the church altogether. And I have friends and people in my life that have done that. And there may be some people here today that, that are completely aware of their fight to overcome their limitations that have led to failure. These are people that it doesn't need to be explained to them. You're well acquainted with your limits. Your failures are actually out on display, and it feels like everyone can see them. 
Maybe your failures have impacted your relationships, your family, your friends, your marriage, and you would do anything to fix them. And no matter what you keep trying, no matter how sincere the effort, you just can't seem to change. You know that the little engine that could is a lie. It sits on a throne of lies. <laughs> it's not the truth. Whichever category you're in today, I think the story of Jesus praying with his disciples, his sleeping disciples, has such good news for you and for me. And you may have caught it. In verse 40 through 41, Jesus asked Peter, he's like, couldn't you watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you don't enter into temptation. There's the line right here. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. I think Jesus in his moment of agony, I think he looks at Peter and he's like, I know what you're like. I know you. Your efforts and your desires are so great. And your spirit is willing, like you want this. I see it and I know it. But you can't make it without me. You need to understand that you need me. In order to understand that you, ha you have to go back a little earlier for Peter, even. Why is this good news? This is good news for you and me because if we go back a just a little bit further, in the dinner, Matthew doesn't record this conversation, actually. John does in John 13, eight, verses 8 through 10. Actually, Super Bowl commercial, which caused some controversy around this. Jesus answered them, if, if, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet but is completely clean, and you are clean. Oh, Peter, sleepy Peter, and his sleepy friends have two very real things happening at the same time. Yes, they are falling asleep in the garden, but they are clean. Frederick Bruner actually said it like this, the night of great forgiveness at the table is also the night of great denials in the garden. Tonight... The church learns a double truth about herself, her plenary forgiveness at the Lord's Supper and her plenary or undependability at the bitter Olivet desertion. So what can we learn from Peter, James, and John in the garden? If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to embrace two realities. They're at the same time very true, that you are loved, but you are limited. You are fully forgiven, but you are also a failure. They're both true. And you have to come to that place of your limitations and embrace them. You have to come face to face with your failure in order to say, I can't figure this out on my own. And some of you aren't at the bottom yet. Some of you are. And Jesus doesn't leave his disciples. He doesn't push them away. He reveals their limitations. And he even asks them, come with me, it's time. So today, if you're in a place where you're completely aware of your failures and you want to change, that is exactly where Jesus wants you. I think that this is part of the work of the Holy Spirit. You need a savior. 
I need a savior. That's the only way you're going to change, is being tied to the savior. Jesus came for the sick, not for the well. He came to remind us that the only way that we're going to make it is if we're completely 100% dependent on him. So for this sermon, there's no real application. It's really just an invitation. It's an invitation to, this is kind of what Lent is all about. Lent is a time for you to understand that you are wonderfully assured. You are clean. You are right. If you are a Christian today, you, are, you can have full assurance all the time, but you have to constantly confront and confess your limitations and your failures all the time. That's what this, we have an annual reminder baked into our calendar every year of saying, yes, I need Jesus. I see him. He's the perfect sacrifice for me, but also I can't do this on my own and I need him all the time. Every year, you're reminded of this. So that's like the invitation for you. If you're a Christian today, like lean into this. What do you need to confess to him? Where do you need assurance They're both there at the same time. They're dual realities. This is what the season is inviting you into. If you're not a Christian today, like this this invitation is for you, is like, man, there's a Savior waiting. He's like, you're sleeping. Wake up. Come with me. I'm here. I will not reject you for your failures. In fact, I will love you, and I have enough love that will overcome all of them. And my love for you will never, ever, there's no amount of failures that's bigger than his love. That's the reality of this. And so if you're a Christian who, if you're not a Christian, Jesus is not surprised by your struggles. He knows them, and he wants to cover them. And so you're invited today to be like, do you want this? Do you want to, do you want to give your life to Christ? And here's the beauty of this is like Hebrews 4.12. It just says he's, he says he's a savior that can sympathize with your weakness. He's not like any other, any other priest, any other God. Because he's been tempted like you have been tempted. But he was victorious. He's victorious where all of us fail. He stayed awake in the garden when we're all asleep. He did not give up. So I spent... The majority of the sermon, or this sermon talking about the people, I want to end our time talking about the place. There's two elements to this story, I think, that are important. And I want to close today by talking about the location that this happens. Um, Gethsemane, and Mark, or Mark and Matthew don't really give us insight on this, but John does. In John 18, he calls it a garden. He calls it a garden. It was actually a garden that the disciples would have been familiar with because they frequented visits there quite often in the life of Jesus. And I think that it's fitting that in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus would reveal the limitations and overestimations of his disciples because ultimately it was in a garden where mankind would be cursed by not accepting their limitations. Genesis 3, 4 through 5, but the serpent said to the woman, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. You'll have no limits. You'll know good and evil. You'll have no limitations. You will be able to do anything. I think overestimating ourselves is the original sin. You'll be like God. And Jesus is not only reminding us of our limits in a garden, he is forgiving us for overstepping them in a garden. Isn't that beautiful? I think that's intentional. 
And this is what God always does. And this is what, how he always and real change happens. Jesus will always go to the places of our deepest shame and our deepest failures, like going to the Garden of Eden again. He's like, he's always going to go. Think of all the places that you feel shame. That's where, exactly where Jesus wants you to go because he's going to be like, you can't get over this, can you? You keep doing it over and over again. He's like, you need my help. You need me. You need a savior. It's, when we, when we confront these things, we understand that the only way that we're going to overcome them is through Jesus. We can see our failures and see his forgiveness. We can see all of our limits, but see all of his love. And his love is always greater than our failures and our limitations. Amen? So at the, as we come to a time of communion, I, I want to go back to Genesis 3, because Adam and Eve in the garden, and as they're being cast out of the garden for sin, because they ate the fruit, there's this like really interesting line. He says that if they would just reach out and eat from the tree of life and live. He's like, they can't handle it because they don't accept their limitations. But it's really interesting because I think Jesus in his ministry all the time is saying, he said to the disciples in front of the Pharisees, if you want to be part of me, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. I actually think this is pointing us to the cross. It's really interesting because I think the, the dual nature of our discipleship is like the dual nature of the cross. It's a tree of life, but at the same time a tree of death. It's a place of hurt, but a place of healing. It's a place of shame, but a place of forgiveness. It's a failure, but it's a victory. It's your victory. And this is, I think, is why we have this weekly reminder. On the night when Jesus was betrayed which we're looking at now over this season of Lent, we see that Jesus became the sacrifice that we needed to pay for our failures and embrace our limitations. So if you're a Christian today and you can honestly confess your limitations and confess that you are clean because of Jesus, you're invited to eat here and here. There's a gluten-free station right here. We, we rip a piece of bread off, we dip it in the cup, and it is a representation of his body that was broken and his blood that was shed. And if you can't honestly make that confession today, if you're not a Christian, I, I want to just ask you not to take communion. I'm so glad you're here today. But I really want you to, to think about that, that invitation of, do you want a Savior? Do you want to come face to face with your limitations and experience love that is boundless and limitless. And if, you, if you're desirous of, of that, there's going to be a room open over here for prayer. There's going to be pastors in there ready to pray with you. Or if you just need to like, lay something down to the Lord, the pastors will pray with you. Um, so please consider doing that during our time. Thank you so much. I hope that this sermon was helpful for you today and encourage you as we lean into Lent over the season to see that Jesus is a sacrifice that we need. Would you pray with me? Father, I am so grateful for your love. Um, so many times I think I am capable of so much more. And I should be doing so much things for, your, for you and that you'll be pleased with me. And it just, 
is not enough because I don't trust you in those areas. And I just pray, if that's the prayer of someone here today, I pray that they would feel peace, that they would feel the lightness of your yoke today. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the season of Lent. I pray for deep assurance for us and times of great confession of our need of a Savior this time. Thank you for this church. We pray for the Oaks to be a place where we can lay down all of our efforts in trying and that we can trust in Jesus, our Savior. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. Learn more about our church and support by giving to the Mission of the Oaks at www.theoakscommunitychurch.org.